welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast, the Code of Ethical Conduct for Agile Coaching series. In this episode, host Leslie Morse, together with Vinnie Gill and Tom Cagley, unpack the fifth commitment from the Code of Ethical Conduct for Agile Coaching, ensuring value in the relationship. Vinnie puts people and culture first. She enjoys connecting with people and companies to find their purpose, walking alongside them in their organisational growth journey. Her passion is influencing change at the enterprise level. She is deeply involved in the Agile community, speaks at international conferences, and has a special interest in educating and education being the tool that empowers people. Tom is a consultant, speaker, podcaster, author, coach, and Agile guide who leads organizations and teams to unlock their inherent greatness. He has developed estimation models and has supported organizations developing classic and Agile estimates. Tom helps teams and organizations improve cycle time, productivity, quality, morale, and customer satisfaction, and then prove it. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, listeners. I'm excited to be joined by Tom and Vinny today to do another conversation around the Agile Coaching Code of Ethics. Specifically, we are going to dig into the fifth commitment today, ensuring value in the relationship. Vinny and Tom, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Leslie. Lovely to be here with you. Yeah. Um, so this, you know, we're releasing all of these episodes, you know, in order, commitment by commitment. So I guess this is sort of the middle episode. It's the, you know, after the opener and stuff, we've got nine commitments to, to cover. So it's sort of an interesting time to take a step back and think about the idea of value, right? Value and why we're doing these episodes, value and why the code of ethics exists in and of itself, and value in what we do as people who practice agile coaching, which is everything that this commitment's about. So to get us started, um, I'm going to read the commitment itself, and then we'll get into some discussion. Does that work for y'all? Absolutely. Perfect. All right. So ensuring value in the relationship. I will check with my client and stakeholders to ensure the relationship is valuable and only extended through mutual agreement. I will make it transparent if my client is forming dependencies on my services and will work towards their own self-sustaining agility. I will be open with the client if I believe the value in the relationship is declining. There's a lot in those three commitments around ensuring value. So before we really dig into just this commitment by itself, like why do you all believe the Agile Coaching Code of Ethics is valuable in and of itself. Let's start there at kind of a systemic level. We affect people, organizations, teams. And if you are acting in an unethical or at least maybe a misdirected way, you can do substantial damage to people and their relationships. That's why it's important. For me, it's more um, looking at a, an ethical way or a single set of standards that we can operate. We're obviously all around the world um, in different parts, different cultures. So all of this actually plays um, differently how we might perceive things or where our mental models are coming from. So if we abide or if we practice on you know, a, an ethical code of conduct, that would actually 
bring all of us on, you know, a single shared platform and therefore, you know, raising um, the, what would you call it, you know, raising us as, you know, professionals in, in the industry. Yeah, I, and, and you, you both said some stuff that, that I completely agree with in that, in that um, someone told me once, um, you're not a real profession if you don't have a code of ethics. And I said, oh, <laughs> I felt that one. Um, two, right, and, and I agree with Vinny with where you're going in that. It's like, this is this code of ethics is our next step towards uncovering better ways of creating value. Right. If we kind of look to that very first line of the manifesto, I think the challenge for me specifically when I think about this fifth commitment, ensuring value in the relationship is absent a crystal clear definition and worldwide alignment on what we even mean by what agile coaching is or is not. It's hard to define value. Um, And so I'm curious how like. One, this code of ethics is taking us in a greater step and towards alignment of what agile coaching is and gets us focused on having meaningful conversations about how to create value and ensure there is value in whatever form of agile coaching is happening in the world. Correct. Because anybody can be an agile coach, right? It's very different from from all the other professions or the traditional professions that you might have. For example, you know, being a lawyer or being being a doctor or an, or an accountant, right? So when you study in these professions, you actually have the ethical code of conduct. Well, it's very different from us because we all had a life before becoming an agile coach. Yeah. And you know what? And then now we're all agile coaches. Yeah. So, so we don't have a life. Is that what you just said? <laughs> <laughs> well, as well as not just agile coaches practice agile coaching. Right. I think that's the big point, right? It it isn't just this this phrase, agile coach, a scrum master, to use a horrible term, but a term that we, you know, it's part of the part of the book um, that has a lot of agile coaching in it. A team lead could be doing agile coaching. You know, it just it's a broad topic, but all of them can affect people and teams. Right. So it it becomes important, right? I, I do think, you know, whether it's crystal clear or not, I think the role, the understanding that the role is broad is one step, but the idea that then anyone who is playing that role, whether it's called that or not, needs to follow some form of code of ethics, I think is it, I think that needs to be crystal clear. We can then argue over the words after that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to argue over the words, Tom, I'd actually prefer the term agilist. Mm. Yeah, which is a very different conversation. What is an overarching code of ethics as we think about us as just all agilists absent the more defined boundary of the work of agile coaching? Um, you know, the, a few years ago for the the Women in Agile uh, annual event, we had a linguist come and speak and talk about the power of words and the history of words. And it's amazing how today the complexity a lot of us face is made so much more complex because of words and how we define them and what people interpret them to mean or don't mean in different ways. So... Um, it's interesting times we live in, and this is all these conversations are what's uncovering those new and better ways. Um, 
the Tom, you've used the phrase like helping individuals and teams. It's about relationships. You've said that a couple of times now, which makes me think of the Agile Manifesto, individuals and interactions over processes and tools um, and how value relates to that piece of the Agile Manifesto. If we think about just that very first bullet point on this commitment, I will check with my client and stakeholders to ensure the relationship is valuable and only extended through mutual agreement. What does just that commitment or that portion of the commitment mean to y'all in terms of how to know what to do, how it guides how I show up in the world and choices that I make? Vinny and I talked about this before. You want to start on this one, Vinny? No, you go, Tom. You go. Okay. I mean, so again, defining value. If you're entering into any form of agile coaching, one has to define upfront why you're doing it, what the effect is, what the value is. I mean, that's just basic sales, right? Um, you do that then one has to deliver and then continue to look at that whether or not you're actually delivering that the problem then becomes right you have multiple stakeholders involved in this you get to uh, extending through mutual agreement well extending through mutual agreement of whom so again you have to frame that correctly such that is it you're extending through the mutual agreement of the person who hired you or the person that you're working with and and those two might be hard but again if if we're talking about the value right you define that value up front as part of the contract or or the coaching contract and then you can test along the way and it can be a broad range of things whether it's helping them with interpersonal things or helping them with the flow of work that but that's all defined up front you need to be able to test against that right and so on to that, Tom, you know, we also discussed about value being seen value and unseen value, right? Because we exist in systems and systems on top of systems. And what you have is sometimes nested systems as well. Sometimes the person that actually hires you in terms of, you know, the value and then where you might go lost in that system, you know, how does that then in turn translate into what we're trying to do and what we're trying to bring because the value that is articulated and communicated depends on the system's trust psychological safety you know if they're actually um seen as to be able to surface the values that we're actually bringing yeah and I, I, go ahead tom no, I think one of the things that this this first bullet point in ensuring value in the relationship does is it is it makes it eminently apparent that you need to define what that value is up front. And very frankly, I'll be well, I'll be totally transparent. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that somewhere in the past 20 years of doing this kind of stuff, I've had contracts that didn't define what the value was. And and it was torturous to me. Um, I'm sure it was torturous to the people that I was being involved with because none of us knew what the heck we were trying to deliver. This says you have to define that. 
Yeah. Well, and, and, and to me, it's the linkage a little bit to the second bullet, which is I will make it transparent if my client is forming dependencies on my services and will work towards um, their own self-sustaining agility. For me, self-sustaining agility is really part of it. And, and it also layers in the hard part of the reality of how agile coaching happens in the world. I might be someone doing agile coaching that is a full-time employee inside a large institution, or I might be an independent consultant who contracted directly for hire, or I might be an employee of a larger organization who contracted for me to be somewhere on somebody's behalf. And so how we talk about value and how you navigate this aspect of the ethical commitment looks a little different, at least in my mind, depending on how you are placed within an organization. Correct. And in this, you you mentioned, you know, you might be an independent contractor or a free, freelancer. That value, you might not even have a chance to have defined that value. Somebody might have already done that for you, right? Because sometimes you're part of a huge coaching system, a huge coaching network that that you know you you surface in, in, in that system so it's it's tricky right because then that's up to you whether what value has been defined whether you agree with it morally and that's that ethics versus moral conversation that tom and i were also were also having right because ethically you know this is the code that you you have to operate within the constraints but it's possible to morally not agree with it yeah but by being there and staying there, you do agree with it. So if, and, and um, I'm old enough to remember, you know, some of the some of the craziness of uh, Vietnam War, things like My Lai, where orders were given, and you know, whole villages were destroyed. You know, was that I just followed orders? Is that an acceptable, you know, answer to ethics? I think legally the answer is no. Uh, morally, I would think that the answer is no. Also, you have to be willing. The problem is that making those decisions can have all sorts of ramifications, right, across the board. Whether if you're if you're your own your own person, uh, independent, then you can affect you. If you're if you're making that decision for a larger, well, then it may have ramifications across the company. It may then make you unemployable. There are all sorts of ramifications to doing the right thing. Yeah, it's an interesting interdependency of the different commitments, because for me, I think about the responsibility to the profession a little bit. And um, right. So and when we talk in that way, we mean like the profession of agile coaching, meaning doing of the work of agile coaching, because I do think if you are always keeping a valued centered conversation, the transparent conversation might be then actually agile coaching is not the thing for you. I have skill sets in these other areas that might help you with these other things that would create value. But let's just be really clear that helping you and creating value in this way is not actually agile coaching work and, and being I, clear I'll, about those delineations. I'll, I'll give you an example because this is the hard part, right? 
Um, once upon a time, I worked for an organization that had a sales manager and salespeople, and they would sell stuff. Mm-hmm. And and whether or not we could actually deliver that stuff um, was always a hit. What stuff, Tom? You know, it was all what sorts of stuff. Uh, <laughs> anywhere from software management to agile coaching. And and throw a little CMMI in there on the side, right? Um, you know, just it was what you know the the organization did, and and very frankly, you didn't as a as a person within the organization, you didn't get to call what you worked on, and if you said no, then you were looking for a new job. You didn't get to then negotiate. Hey, you know I have these other skills, and I can help you over there. Uh, that was already, you know, iced in stone and signed by the 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 division manager and the sales manager and all that. You had well, I left that job. Uh, I left that job over one of those. You had to make a choice at some point, and and with we get into these codes of ethics, they do mean at some point you have to consider what your options are. Yeah. Yeah. So beyond that idea of self-sustaining agility, like using agile, the work of agile coaching to help organizations become more self-sustaining in their agility, what are a few of the other things practitioners may be looking towards in order to help ensure they are value focused and having conversations about value creation in their work? See, Leslie, one of the things that we we should have we didn't touch about, which I would like to raise, is that co-creation of value together, right? So, for example, it's it's like we have situations where okay, you know, the value has been not the a value has not been articulated, not been defined, or b in that scenario where you know you're a, a pool of different mix of coaches and you're already in there and something has already been done up front. But then how do we move forward and what can we do about it, right? So therefore, you know, in systems where we're lost or in nested systems, it is possible then to co-create the value with our direct um, coachee or whoever we're working with in, in that. I feel that co-creation is really important so that we're all on the same page of, you know, shared understanding, which is typically lost. And that for me is like that first step of being transparent, you know, if you can't impact something so big, then why not just, you know, start small and just start with that one person that that is with you. And I feel that's how we can actually move forward. How do you define co-creation? Oh, for me, quite quite simply, actually, you know, it's just working together, being inclusive, including people that you're working with. That for me is that very first step to co-creating something rather than me, you know, going alone by myself and doing something which I think is correct or is morally correct and not doing it together. But then as coaches, you know, we coach to the client's agenda, not our our agenda. Of course, we're there to help them and guide them and, you know, give them tell them what it is, you know, if you go with this and this and this and this might happen, if you go this, 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 but we need to be cognizant not to sometimes bring our biases in or push our own, own agenda or, you know, be, be certain frameworks or certain things or, you know, certain ways of operating. 
I think I 100% agree with you can't bring, well, you always do bring your biases and to the table. The problem is for those who don't recognize or don't have enough introspection to know what biases they're bringing and then try to defeat them. But I hear you. So, okay, the co-creation piece is important when it can happen. Um but is that that's co-creation of the def, definition of value or, you know, that's the part of agile coaching where sometimes it gets messy, right? Because that's not a classic coaching uh, platform where you do step across the line and you do start to code and you do start to get involved in helping with other things and or advising or guiding or or facilitating the conversations that aren't necessarily about agile and i think that's where a lot of tangential value happens to that relationship right i helped someone the other day work through organizational design was that agile coaching uh, you know, I, I actually got my hands dirty. So it was a little bit past just asking questions. Every, everything is agile coaching, well, Tom. Everything. Well, it, dep it depends on your, if, if you take that straight professional coaching uh, purview, then, uh, you know, getting, getting then, involved is a problem. Well, I think but then you see, Tom, like what's value to you might not be value to them. Yes. This is why it's so important to co-create that value together, right? We all have different perceptions of value. For you, maybe you said, oh, that's not agile coaching. That's not value. Oh, I didn't say it wasn't value. Didn't say, value. Didn't say I think that I wasn't going to do it. Leslie's smiling. Leslie's laughing over there, chipping. Yeah, well, I mean, this, it goes back to how we started the conversation, right? Absent a, a good aligned definition of what agile coaching coaching is, right? Because Tom, we just heard you say like, man, I went beyond a lot way beyond just asking questions, right? Over occupation of the coaching stance in the agile coaching space is actually one of the things that I think is making our ethical dilemmas so much harder in the way we approach this work so much harder. We have to decide like what what is the skill set of agile coaching that we're bringing forward because at Professional coaching is not agile coaching. Agile coaching right. is more than Absolutely professional correct. coaching. It includes yes. pieces and parts of it. But the thing that we see happen all day long, and gosh, if we've got listeners that have listened to the Women in Agile podcast enough, um, they've heard me say this many times, as well as on other episodes related to this code of ethics, um, the number of times I've worked with someone who's gone off for their very first two or three day intensive workshop on professional coaching skills and they come back and that is the only intervention they are aware of and desire to apply, like that's when bad things happen. And so agile coaching, let's just say it, like agile coaching is more than just asking questions. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not death thank by a hundred questions. You. We're not, we don't just ask the questions, you know, we're a lot more than, than that, right? We all know of the, all the stances and, you know, I like to sh share a story and I, I, a few years ago I was um, being interviewed and at the end I said, you know, what do you not want in an agile coach? And that person said, I'm not paying you to ask me questions all day long. And I said, fantastic, because we're going to get along swimmingly. 
because that was one of the things that I that just annoyed me, you know, because that definition of coaching, thinking when you see new, you know, inverted commas, agilists becoming the first thing they do, you know, instead of, you know, growing that whole agile skill is like they go on a coaching certificate, you know, a coaching course, and they think that's all they do, just asking powerful questions. No, that's, that's not it, right? Yeah, That's it's not being transparent, though, and making sure that that people understand that when you walk in the door. Um, I, again, I, I think we get back to framing the agreement, framing what we're going to do. Then as time goes by, um, making sure that they're gaining those skills. That's the whole self-sustaining piece. And and at some point. You're not there to soak them or as, as a sales manager of my, uh, that I worked with once upon a time said, you're not there to continue to milk the cow forever. Um, you're there to, you know, teach them how to milk the cow and get the heck out of there. So I, I think all of this works really well when we're talking about for hire agile coaching work. I am an internal employee in an organization who is doing agile coaching work. Uh, maybe I'm supporting a dozen or two teams, like who knows, right? Like how big or expansive my work may be. It's not about am I creating value for the organization any longer. It's, hey, I've been working with the you know, merchandising team. That team is doing really well now. What's the next best team I can go serve and work for? So it's about mm -hmm. who I'm spending my time with internal to our organization and how do we have conversations like that? It's not like, oh, I don't feel like I'm creating value anymore. I guess I need to go find my next job. And I think it's really it can be easy for people to hear conversations like ours and be like, oh, you don't feel like you're creating value anymore. To be ethical, you've got to quit your job. And that's not what it is at all. It's about how do you have conversations about value in the forefront of everything you do and, and who you're working with on that day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, that's... You're still, you're still there. You're still there with, with the teams that you move you move away from. You're still there, but you're just not as hands-on as you are because they're probably at a state where you know, you've done a pretty good job and they're self-sustaining in, in some way, and then you've gone over to, to the next place, right? Yeah. Is that right? And that's the way I sort of look at it. Or, or you've taken them to a different level after that. I mean, it depends. Again, you're absolutely right. You, It isn't especially internal, right? That's... Uh, that's generally, this is the hard part of all this, but let's say you're an agile coach and there, you know, there's only one team and you aren't adding value. What do you do? Well, actually I want to bring up this really uh, important angle that Tom and I actually discussed, right? We all know at the moment, you know, jobs are really hard. The economy isn't really great. This is a, a global thing. It's not something that's just happening on one part of the world, the other part of the world. And the profession of agile coaching is being hit significantly. <laughs> there are a lot of coaches on the bench. So when you actually say, like, you know, ensuring value and value is there, but then at the same time, you know, you got to eat, right? So. And this is when are when, you doing agile coaching and when are you doing other stuff? Right. So maybe agile coaching is no longer the way I'm adding value. Maybe I'm doing other things 
that add value and my work is no longer agile coaching. And, and I think that takes us back to that, the real simple example, one coach, one team, they are, uh, they are, they are to the level that you are. So there's nothing really that you can add. You need to do something else in the organization, right? It, it, or you need to up your game so that you can continue to coach them. There are any number of things that you can do, but just writing and doing nothing and playing golf every day is probably not the right answer. So at least not the right ethical answer. Especially since golf is unethical. No, I'm kidding. I, you know, I, I know golfers. It's, see, Tom, it might be easier, you know, if you're a permanent employee in an organization, you're obviously protected, you know, and you've got rights that you can't just be let go. You know, they probably have to find you something else. But that's really difficult if you're a freelancer or a contractor, right? Because you know that there are no jobs out there. This is a very real phenomenon. I'm not saying that they happening. should, uh, again... Yeah, but can you just milk the cow? Can you just keep going and not be delivering value? I think it's a horrible, a horrible place to be. I, I'm not saying that 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 they should immediately quit, but they should f try to find other places to add value within the organization, other things to do to extend what they're doing such that they can't. And agree. Now, and, and if you go back and read the preamble, right, the preamble means that everybody is aware of what's going on. If they're, if the organization's aware, the people that you're coaching is aware, are aware that, that you're just running in maintenance mode with them, and that's what they want, so be it. I mean, that uh, at that point, I think I would start working on add, you know, adding to my portfolio. But you know, yeah. again, part of it goes back to actually having that transparent conversation and getting people to buy in. I, I think that is hard in in today's environment. What I think I'm hearing here is um, quiet quitting when you're doing the work of agile coaching is unacceptable. That's unethical. Yes. Right. That I would think be so. un yes, that would be unethical. Unethical. Yes. Um, I also wish that an aspect of this would get um, taken up by doctors where um, I can get the test results. You can look at the test results. I don't need to come in and pay you to have an appointment with you to look at my test results. That is not adding value in your relationship with me as a physician and a patient. Um, so, Perhaps maybe one day we will infect other professions with some of these conversations some, about some what hospitals means. actually do that. By the way, well, um, good, good, lucky for you, yeah, Tom. I, 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 <laughs> one that I work that I'm doing some work for, and the other one that I actually go to, uh, just you know, plop it on my chart and say, read it and ask questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's like it's the, this. It's there is, I believe, something bigger at play in the world around. Um, value. In fact, sometime um, over the past two weeks, in fact, it was just before I'd gone out on a, on a vacation, uh, somebody sent me a link and I didn't get a chance to listen to it. There's a NPR, right? So in the, in the U.S. National Public Radio um, set of posts and um, podcasts around BS jobs um, and how the 
modern society has created all sorts of jobs for the sake of having work for people, but that the works act, the work actually doesn't create a ton of value. And so in some ways, I think we're, we're butting up on the systemic societal change from an industrial to a post-industrial world where what value means in our society is no longer about output and efficiency and all of these things that we saw in the industrial era, but now we're emote, now that we're living in this post-industrial world, how we define and relate to value is all different. It's the same tension we see in lots of our jobs over outputs versus outcomes. And while we're living in this systemically transient period, conversations about value and ensuring value and ensuring I have Maslow's hierarchy of needs and can take care of my family, like it all gets harder. That's hard to argue with. It does get <laughs> harder. Whether or not, whether or not, uh, you know, whether or not you can define or really have a true difference between mm. outcomes and output. Um, I think that's actually an interesting discussion, but yeah. that's not ethical. Yes. Well, unless maybe they define out, they define value as outputs, not outcomes. And Arguably, so value becomes yeah. subjective. subjective. <laughs> awesome. Vinny, Tom, thank you so much for joining me today. I love, I love that we got fiery. I love that we, sort of disagreed. I love that we laughed and smiled and asked each other hard questions. Um, thank you. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit and scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a co-worker about the podcast. Please go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiative and find more inspiring podcast conversations.